right, we're in our final week of Culture Shock. If you're a guest today, you're kind of coming in at the end of the movie, but that's all right because all of these messages stand on their own, and you can go back to newlifecanton.com and watch these. I would encourage you to do that or on our app and catch up with that. But let's, uh, as a reminder, let's look at our working definition for culture shock. A sense of confusion and uncertainty, sometimes with feelings of anxiety that may affect people exposed to a foreign culture or environment without adequate preparation. And that's what we're trying to change and help and assist with in this series. Because we're living, <laughs> I don't have to tell you this, we're living in a society that is constantly bombarding us with shocking things, constantly. And what's scary is it's happening even more so with our teenagers, with our kids. It's not the same world that I grew up in. It's not the same world. It was hard enough then. Can I get an amen? Anybody in there? But, I mean, now at their fingertips, and I mean literally, their fingertips is everything everything. And so what happens is we're bombarded daily. And here's the danger. Here's why we're doing this. Look at the screen. When we are exposed to shocking things every day, they just don't remain shocking for long. We get used to it. Our brains just turn off and we get, it becomes mundane and we become desensitized to what should be very shocking. And even as believers, we get, here's the danger. We become desensitized to sinful behavior. What was so shocking at first, we're like, we'll never, I'll never do that. I'll never fall into that. It's, it's, there's no way we wake up one day and, we're, and because we've been exposed to it over and over and around it over all the time, we wake up one day and we're right in the middle of it. And we're like, how in the world did I get caught up in this? And that is the danger. That is exactly why we're doing this series, and it's why we're looking at Daniel and his friends throughout this series, because as teenagers, they were ripped away from their home in Jerusalem. They were the, the, the cream of the crop. They were the most talented, most handsome, had the most potential, and so King Nebuchadnezzar took them 500 miles away and put them through these three years of, of, of this camp where they were reprogrammed, and, or they tried to, brainwashed them into becoming Babylonians, gave them new names, made them memorize a, a new language and, and learn a new culture and all of these things. And yet they stayed faithful to God, even in the worst culture shock you can possibly imagine. And so we're looking to them. Now in weeks one, two, and three, we were very slow and deliberate. We went through Daniel one, two, and three. But here we are in week four, and there's quite a bit of Daniel left. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to take some quick takeaways and nuggets from Daniels 4, 5, and 6 in our sermon today. We're going to pull some, some really cool stuff out of those chapters. Daniel 7 and on are visions and prophecies. We're not going to dive into that, into this series, okay? So today I want to hit these highlights, and then I want to close our time together, this series, with what a conversation with what I think, why I think, our culture has become so anti-Christian. Anti-Christian. 
and how we can recognize some of the same characteristics in this anti-Christian culture that might be lurking in our life. Because we don't recognize that we can't do anything about it. So the subtitle for the message today is Faith Versus Feelings. Faith Versus Feelings. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence in the worship today. God, I pray that right now, you would make your word come alive in our heart. Let it be prophetic. Let it be sharper than any double-edged sword. Let it pierce deeply and heal today and become prophetic in our life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. All right. Who's ready for the word today? Come on. All right. So Daniel, Daniel chapter 4. Let me summarize. Nebuchadnezzar, this crazy king we've been talking about in Babylon the whole time, he has another dream that he knows there's something to this. In Daniel 1, he had a dream, and then he called all of his magicians and astrologers and enchanters in, and he wouldn't tell them the dream. He made them guess, you know, at the dream, and and then they couldn't do it. He was going to kill everybody. Daniel came to the rescue. God used him in a powerful way. This time he has a dream, but this time he tells them the dream, and the dream was of this giant tree, this lush, beautiful tree, huge tree that was fruitful and provided comfort and rest and food for everyone and all the animals around it. And then suddenly it was chopped to the ground, just a stump remaining. Freaked him out. He knew something was significant. So he called all of his guys in, these, these astrologers, and, and they were really just idiots. They, 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 they knew nothing. They, they would make up stories, and they started telling him stuff, and he was like, you guys are idiots. You don't know anything. You're, you have no clue. You're making this up. So give me Daniel. He knew who to call. Give me Daniel. And so Daniel comes in. God does speak to him about the dream, but Daniel knows it's not good news. And so he's reluctant, but he's obedient. There's a, there's a sermon right there. But anyway, let's move on. Daniel 4, verse 24. This is in the New Living on the screen. This is what the dream means, Daniel says. And what the Most High, okay, make no mistake, he's talking about God. And what God has declared will happen to my Lord the King. You will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods or seven years of time will pass while you live this way until you learn. Everybody say learn. Until you learn that the Most High, until you learn that God rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you think you're all that in a bag of chips? You ain't. You are not anything special. It's God that has set you up, and God can take you down. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven Rules. Skip to verse 27. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice, Daniel says. Stop sinning. Hey, y'all, this is really good advice 2,500 years ago, and it's really good advice today. All right? Just, just throwing that in there. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break. Break. Some of y'all need to break away. Oh, I came to preach. Be careful. Some of y'all break, need to break away from people and situations and places that are taking you down. You are not ready. Oh, pastor, I'm going to lead them to the Lord. No, you're not. They're going to lead you away. 
You're not ready for that yet. You're not ready. Break away, he says, from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to... So Daniel's like, he recognized what this was about. He, he totally saw what was about to happen. He's like, God is about to body slam you from the third rope. I really don't know what that means, okay? Is that like WWE? Any fans? I just... God's like, God, he's about to judge you. He's about to make you understand that he is in charge, not you. But maybe, maybe Nebuchadnezzar, if you'll repent, if you'll turn from those things, he'll withhold his judgment. Skip to 29. Twelve months later, one year, Nebuchadnezzar was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. And as he looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city. By my own mighty power. Woo! We in trouble. I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. Did he take the advice? Did he take the advice? Verse 31, while these words were still in his mouth, a voice called from heaven, O king, this message is for you, big boy. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven years of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the most high, that God rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Here is our Easy takeaway, but it's not always easy. Humble yourself or be humbled. Humble yourself or be humbled. Don't allow your achievements to go to your head. Don't ever forget that anything good in your life, in your family, in your finances, on your job, on your ball team, at your school, anything good that is in your life is from God. He is your source. Not your gifts, not your talents, not your bank account, not your position. God is your source. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves. <laughs> and he knew what he was talking about. He had a little experience. Come on. This is the guy who said, oh, Jesus, these others, they're going to run. They're scared. They're going to run away. But I will never leave you. I will follow you all the way to death. And Jesus is like, I love you, Peter, but <laughs> before the rooster crows, today, you're going to deny you even know my name three times. Peter understood this, and now he's an old man. Now he understands some things. How many senior adults in the room? Come on. We need you. Because you understand some things. You've been through some stuff. Come on. I'm not making fun. I'm saying this. We need you. Peter is now at a point in his life where he understood some things. And he's like, listen, you need to hear me, church. Humble yourselves because trust me, you don't want God to do it. Humble yourselves under God's hand that he may lift you up in due time. 
Humble yourself. Nebuchadnezzar learned the hard way that God is in charge. He learned the hard way that pride and arrogance are dangerous and always lead to bad things. Now, let's also be honest. Some of us in this room have learned a few things the hard way. Can I get an amen or oh me? Hey, listen. Thank God for grace. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, hundredth chance because of the grace and the mercy of God to lift us up when we will humble ourselves. If we will walk with a humble spirit under the mighty hand of God, if we will give him the glory for anything good in our life, then he will bless us. He will promote us. He will lift us up when we are ready. Come on, somebody praise God. All right, so that's Daniel 4, summary of Daniel 5. Now, this is pretty major change now. 66 years have passed from Daniel 1 to Daniel 5. He is now, he was a teenager in Daniel 1, and now he's an old man. He's in his early 80s at this point. There's a different king, Nebuchadnezzar, gone. He's gone the way of the dodo. He's dead, buried, gone. But here's Daniel. He's still there. There's a new king. His name is Belshazzar. New king, same old sin. Same old sin of pride, and arrogance. This time, this king has the bright idea of, of going into his royal treasury and taking out the cups that, was, that were stolen from the temple of God in Jerusalem all those years before. He thought it would be a great idea to take these sacred objects of God and have a party with them, have a drunken party. So when they're, they're in the middle of this drunken party using these cups that came out of the temple of God, And suddenly a hand appears on the wall and begins writing. You you know that story or where that word comes from? I want to have a handwriting on the wall. That's the story right here. So this hand, it freaks them out, of course, and they can't understand what it means. So once again, they go through this whole thing of calling these, these astrologers and these enchanters in and all of this stuff. And the queen mother who I think, it doesn't say, I think is Nebuchadnezzar's wife. And she's, she's learned some stuff. I think she comes in, she hears about what's happening, and this is what she says about Daniel. She's she, she, what she says. Where are we? Next page. Daniel 5.12. This is the queen mother. She says, this man Daniel, whom the king, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, named Belteshazzar, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel. Say that with me. Call for Daniel, and he'll tell you what this means. Now, as I studied this today, or this week, today, I I prepared for this message this morning. How about that? Isn't that amazing? No, I did not. Anyway, I did not. Trust me. As I studied this this week, the first thing that came to me was not a statement, but a question. Look at the screen. Do people call for me when they need help? Do people, could people call for me? When this crisis came, 
The first name that came into her mind because she had some experience was Daniel. And what I'm asking us is when somebody is in help in our circle, of, uh, needs help in our circle of influence, who do they think of? I think as followers of Jesus, we need to be the first people that they think of. To know that they can trust us, there's something different in our life, to call in a time of crisis. She said, call for Daniel. Call for Daniel. Call for Daniel. So the king brings Daniel in, and (laughs) it's the knee-jerk reaction with these kings. He offers him gifts, money, promotion. He offers him all this stuff, if you can possibly interpret the writing. And I love, I love Daniel's response. Remember now, he's not a kid anymore. (laughs) Daniel 5.17. Daniel answered the king, keep it. Keep your gifts. Give them to somebody else. I don't care. But I'll tell you what it means. Daniel's not a teenager anymore. Daniel has been there, done that, has several t-shirts to prove it. He doesn't need it. He doesn't want it. He is not going to be indebted to this king. He's not going to be his hireling. And here's what we need to know. Here's what we need to take away from this. Look at the screen. Don't serve money, serve God. Don't serve money, serve God. I was kind of half-hearted applause there. I I may need to preach this for just a few minutes. Don't serve money, serve God. Don't allow money to dictate what you do or don't do, whether it's Christian involved or not. Don't be motivated by money. Don't be motivated by just position. Don't allow money to motivate your actions. Be led by the Spirit. Daniel, hey, Jesus, before I go on, Jesus, y'all listening to me? Jesus in the New Testament, he said, you can't. It's impossible. You can't serve God and money at the same time. You can't do it. You can't chase money. Now, money's not inherently evil. But money is supposed to serve you, not you serve it. Money's a tool. That's all that is. But Jesus said, you can't chase that and chase God at the same time. It's impossible. So Daniel interprets the the writing, and basically it's a prophecy about the fall of Babylon to the Medes and the Persians. And that's not just in your Bible, that's in history. It happened. And so he, he, he prophesies this, of course, it is absolutely the truth. And then in Daniel chapter 6 now, Daniel's in his 80s. Not much time has elapsed. <laughs> There's another king, another kingdom now in charge. And usually anybody in leadership would have been executed or put in prison, not Daniel. Why? Because God has a hand on his life. Because God has promoted him and he promotes him again. Even in this new kingdom, new king named Darius. And Darius shows Daniel favor. He loves Daniel because Daniel is so valuable to him. But his coworkers don't like that very much. Anybody have coworkers that don't like? Don't now. If somebody, your coworker sitting next to you and brought you to church. <laughs> hey, come on! If you live for Jesus, remember what we talked about last week. You're going to stand out, and Daniel was standing out, and his coworkers hated his guts. He, they wanted him gone. They wanted him dead. They wanted him out of the picture. And so they were trying to come up with something to frame him, but they couldn't find anything. Because his character was so holy and good. 
The only thing they could figure to use against him, and you know the story, was his faith. So they go and do what they know will work because I don't know how, care how a good a king is, a king is going to have an ego. And so they went and they stroked that king's ego by saying, hey, look, king, we got an idea. For 30 days, nobody can pray to any other god except you. And if anybody's caught doing this, they'll be thrown into the den of lions. Darius is like, whoop, sounds good. So he signs this law that says if anybody's caught for 30 days praying to any god except him, they would be executed I love this. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down. What does it say? As usual. Say it again. As usual. In his upstairs room with his windows open to Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. In chapter 1, in chapter 1, Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Remember, as a teenager, He resolved not to defile himself, but to remain faithful to God. And we talked about the fact that resolutions made in our own strength have very little staying power. Remember that New Year's resolution that you said in January to lose weight and to to work out? (laughs) How'd that work out? It didn't work out. Because if we make resolutions in our own strength, they have little power. But when we make a resolution in partnership and with the power of the Holy Spirit, it can be life-changing in our life. And now we get a view, hold on, now we get a view into how Daniel did this and how Daniel stayed faithful all these years, 70 years in this horrific culture. And the, y'all listen now, the answer For Daniel, 2,500 years ago is the same answer for us. Daniel had a friendship with God. Daniel had a relationship with his heavenly father that he kept strong because he met with him every single day. Look at the screen. If we want to to successfully navigate... Our shocking culture, God must become our friend and not just our acquaintance. God must be our friend and not just our acquaintance. I'm going to say some pastoral things. I'm not being mean. Okay? Y'all trust me? All right. Coming here, we got a great crowd this morning. This is beautiful. It's so important for you to be here on Sunday morning. It is so important to gather together as the body. But if all you get of God's presence is on Sunday morning, it is not enough. And so when the battle comes, when the test comes, when the trial comes, and you know as well as I do it's coming, you are likely to fail if all you get is Sunday morning. Guard your prayer life. Guard your time alone every day with the Father. If you're not doing it, start doing it. Yeah. Pastor, I get up, I have to have the kids, and, I, and, and it's, I got to work at six. And you know, All right, go ahead and keep living the way you're living. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is life-changing. I'm telling you, it's worth, 
It's worth getting up 30 minutes earlier. I'm telling you, it's worth getting away from your coworkers, perhaps at lunch. But here's the deal. You, whatever, whenever you do it, wherever you do it, it needs to be consistently in the same place. It needs to be alone with God, where you can get in his word, where it's quiet, and you can reflect, and you can pour your, your soul out to him and give him space to speak back to you. It is life-changing. It is your lifeline. Come on, the great men and women of the Bible weren't great because they were perfect. Far from it. Read the book. They all had problems. They all had issues. They all had struggles. They were great, not because they were perfect. They were great because they were friends with God. And they put their relationship with God above everything else. The Word of God says that Daniel went home and prayed as usual. He wasn't weird. It wasn't because he was in trouble. He didn't have to to catch up in his prayer life. He just, come on, it was every day. It was as usual. There's no way he could have made it 70 years in that environment without his close walk with God. And there's no way that you can make it either. And there's no way that I can make it either. This is the third. Can I teach a second? This is the third core value of our church. It's out there on the wall. Worship. Word, walk, and witness. I was hoping y'all would know those a little better. Now I'm feeling like I haven't. Anyway, worship, word, walk, and witness. Let me tell you something. You're never going to have a witness without a walk. You're never going to have a witness for the Lord without a walk. Worship and word is what we do on Sunday morning. Worship and word is what we do and make sure it's excellent and it's anointed and it's prepared and it helps you. And it does. But worship, walk is about discipleship and that's not going to happen on Sunday morning. You cannot be a witness for Jesus Christ if you don't have a walk with Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you something. Are you listening to me? I'm saying it boldly. I'm saying it boldly. 2019 is the year of discipleship for New Life Church. 2019 is the year of the walk for for New Life Church. I've been your senior pastor for about three years now. And I came in with the vision that I wanted to help connect you to your God-given purpose. But I haven't really done that. And and, and I haven't really... We've touched on it and everything. But it's taken this long to set things up, get systems in order. and That's all done, folks. We're there. It's time to make business with God. It's time for discipleship. It's time for people to begin to dig deeper. So I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Dr. Thomason and I are working on something to be launched in January of 2019 that if you're ready to go deeper, if you're ready to, to really mean business with God and begin to grow in your walk with him, it's two pieces. It's an academic piece. You need to know the word of God. You need to understand and know the word of God. But it's not just about knowing. Come on, the demons know the word of God. It's not just about knowledge. The other piece is application. You have to do what it says. And so we're in the process of coming up with an intensive program that if you're ready, 
to be challenged. If you're ready to go deeper, we're going to offer that to you so that you can truly begin to walk with Christ and truly begin to connect to your God-given purpose. Because until you have a walk, you will never have a witness. Somebody praise the Lord. Come on. Hallelujah. I took extra time with that, but so important. So important. Come on, we know the end of the story. Even if you're new to Christianity, you know the end of this story. Everybody's heard of Daniel and the lion's den. We know that these guys caught him praying because that was the whole deal to begin with. And Darius didn't want to, but he had to stay to his law, threw him in the lion's den, and God miraculously saved him and rescued him. It was epic. It was big. But just like last week, come on, the most impressive part of this story is not the miracle. The most impressive part of the story is not him being rescued from the lion's den. The most impressive part of this story is Daniel, Daniel's resolve for 70 years in a horrible culture to follow God, to be faithful to God, to walk with God every single day. That's the most impressive thing. That's the thing that got him through, and that's what's going to get you through as well. I'm preaching better than y'all are shouting today. That's all right. That's all right. Too late now. I'd have jumped down there and amen myself, but I don't have the energy. (laughs) Might break my other ankle. In closing this series, listen, seriously, in closing this series, I want to offer a few thoughts on why our culture has become so anti-Christian. Now, a quick, easy, super spiritual answer would be that there's because there's an anti-Christ working in the world. Anti-Christ, anti-Christian. And that's true, but that's too easy. I believe the moral fabric of our culture is unraveling because we've allowed our feelings to rule the day. We have allowed our feelings to govern our lives. As a culture overall, Christians included, we have allowed our feelings to dictate our decisions. How many uh, parents of kids, of teenagers or younger, that you have to get up for school every day? How many parents? Isn't that fun? <laughs> Do you go to that door and knock? Stick your head in there. It's time to get up. And you know this response is al- always the same. <laughs> I'm so... I just need a little more. Now, when that happens, and it always happens, do you, do you, you know what, you're right. I am so sorry I have offended you by waking you up. Let me just turn the light back off. And let, you know, just sleep as long as you want to. And when you're ready, when you're feeling it, you get up and then I'll take you. To school, if school's still in session by that time. Is that what we do? Why? Because we want to do what's best for our children. And most of the time, doing what is best for our children directly contrasts what they feel. 
but I'm about to flip the coin and you know it. And often what God wants for us, his children, is in direct contradiction to how we feel. Now, this next statement is a tough one, but it's absolutely true. God is more concerned about your character than your comfort. It's all right. Don't. I know. Don't. It's like, I think we should clap, but I don't want to. God would rather have you holy than happy. But see, everything in our first world culture caters to our preferences and happiness. Everything that you watch, every commercial is marketed to hit on what you want, what's, what, what you think you want, to your preferences, to your happiness. But it's a dangerous reality because here's what's happened. It's crept over and bled over into the church. I'm not being mean. I'm just making a statement, okay? So, so smile. Jesus loves you. <laughs> we pick church and choose church based on what the church can do for me. And not what maybe I can do for the kingdom. So maybe... Maybe God wanted you to go into that church that was in chaos and that had a horrible children's program and that had, had a terrible worship. The people couldn't even sing on key and all of this. And, 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 and maybe God wanted to use your gifting to do something in that little church. I don't want you to leave. Calm down. Unless God tells you to. Because who am I? to tell you to do something that God's telling you to do different. No way. No way. My point is that we do almost everything in life based on preference. You want to talk about first world problems? That's the top. That's the top of the list right there. It's a dangerous reality because our preferences and our happiness and our feelings drive our decision-making even as Christians. And if we allow that to happen, listen, we are in rebellion to this word. Listen to what Jesus says. Anybody think that's important? Listen to what he says, Matthew 16, 24. If any of you wants to be my follower, time out. Anybody want to be follower of Jesus? Raise your hand. It's not a trick question. Not a trick question. It's kind of a trick question. All right, listen. If any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. I know, you don't want to clap, it's fine. (laughs) But if we make decisions based on how we feel in the moment, come on, our feelings change based on what we've eaten that day, based on how much sleep we got. Our, Our feelings change constantly. If we make our decisions based on our feelings and govern our lives based on our feelings, our lives are not going to look any different from the world. And we are supposed to be salt and light, called out. Mm. But if we let our faith dictate our actions and inform our decisions, God will begin to heal those emotions and begin to use our passions for his glory. 
There's only one answer. Our faith must lead and our feelings will follow. Our faith must lead. Say that. My faith must lead. My faith must lead. And my feelings will follow. Because listen, God's eternal truth exists whether you feel it or don't. School starts at whatever time, 7.30, 7.45, whether your kids feel it or not. Our emotions and opinions and momentary desires will never, ever, ever be able to determine truth. There's 7 billion people in the world, folks, with 7 billion different ideas and opinions. Can you imagine the chaos of trying to find truth out of that? You can't do it. You cannot do it. We need ultimate truth to guide our lives, and it only comes from God. Now you can clap. It's okay. (laughs) I'm almost done, I promise. The world promises. It's all right. It's all right. The world promises promises that if we follow our own path, I'm not sure what that was, but if we follow, if we follow our own way, find our own truth. Anybody heard this? That it will lead to happiness. But do you know that stands in contrast to actual facts? I've got actual George Barna study statistics They they took a group of teenagers with strong biblical foundation versus those who did not. And the teenagers who did not have faith, who did not have a strong biblical foundation, look at the screen, were 225% more likely to be angry with life, 216% more likely to be resentful, 210% more likely to lack purpose, 200% more likely to steal, 200% more likely to physically hurt someone. 300% more likely to use illegal drugs and 600% likely to attempt suicide. If these statistics break your heart, I'm with you. But here's the problem. We bought into a humanistic lie that says we are the center of our own universe. That somehow we can Create our own truth. It's a lie. One of my favorite pastors in the world is Chris Hodges. Look at what he says. Without having a basis for our beliefs that's grounded in the ultimate truth, we will succumb to the roller coaster ride of living by our emotions. One day we'll be up, the next day we'll be disappointed and angry, and another we'll be afraid. Our moods often swing 180 degrees. God's truth, however, remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Folks, we live in a shocking culture. We know that. And people, most people live, even Christians live with the mantra, if it feels good, do it. If it feels good, do it. I think it's pretty obvious that mindset doesn't work. That mindset ruins marriages. That stance ruins relationships. It corrupts businesses. Church, we've been called. Everybody say called. We've been called out of that. We've been called to something so much better and so much stronger. 
Let us choose to be like Daniel and his friends, and let us resolve to live by faith and not by feelings. Let us resolve to partner with the Holy Spirit to live our lives for something greater than ourselves. Bow your heads.